Right now, you can get both Sprint's Unlimited plan and the brilliant iPhone XR included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and an 18-month lease. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after 16-25 month credit. Apply within two bills or canceled early. Your main balance due and limited basic after 9-30-20. Pay $32 per month per line with auto pay. Take prioritization during congestion. Speed maximums. Use rules and restrictions apply. Okay, so welcome back, watch people, and we're into episode nine already of your questions and my answers, and uh, I've had to choose these very carefully because there's so many things, so many subjects coming in, and like obviously we're limited to time on each per video, so I think I mentioned before I'm going to do more episodes, fewer topics per episode, but um, there's one uh, long one from David Bibbons that I'm going to cover lastly here today, um, but something I'm going to cover very quickly really is um, Tommy Lee... Uh, Gordon Anderson, amongst many, many others, have written in asking about the warranty card retention issue, the sticker removal issue, two sides to every argument. Gordon Anderson says um, that if he ever buys a Rolex, he wouldn't care if a dealer held the card for a year. He uh, he says that the only people that are getting upset by it are the ones that intend to resell quickly uh, and that his would be a long-term purchase probably forever. Um, Tommy says, um, why are Rolex treating all their customers like flippers? Uh, uh, you know, you'll be, he's begrudgingly giving uh, them their 30% plus profit margin, but they insist on removing factory stickers and withholding warranty cards. So kind of two, the reason I've picked on those two, and it's, it's you know, a question, this sort of question has come in from dozens of people, but I've picked on Gordon and Tommy because they're kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. So I'm going to answer Gordon first. Gordon, I think, to be honest with you, my friend, I've got to, got to be frank and say this, is that I can't agree with you at all, mate. And i tell you why, because yes, you may very well be a buyer um, and you're going to keep that watch forever. But not everyone's the same, are they? Everyone's different. Now, a lot of people aspire to buying a Rolex. A lot of people save for a very long time. A lot of people actually get into a Rolex watch when they really perhaps shouldn't be. Um, they get caught up in the moment. They might be on holiday, whatever. Family needs and requirements may very well mean that sometimes during that first 12 months of ownership that they need to sell that watch to maybe support their family or maybe to support their business there are many reasons that we could go into why that might happen and i think it's really cheeky um and you know actually just plain wrong for a company any company let's just not talk about a watch company any company that sells you something and then deliberately devalues it before you take it out of the door um for me it's just mind-blowing you know what happens to those people that need to sell that watch in the first 12 months now the flippers that you talk about they don't need the card particularly because they're flipping the watch anyway it doesn't matter to them all they're interested in is how much profit will they make now if it's a couple of hundred quid less because the card's not present say la vie that's the way it is they're not bothered it doesn't affect the flippers it doesn't affect the grey market it only affects really the genuine private people who are buying their watches and then need to sell them on at some stage in the near future so i don't agree that removing those stickers is um, only uh, a problem for flippers uh, and keeping the car it's not it's actually entirely the opposite um, and looking at uh, tommy's email you know i mean that really sums it up for me when he says you know they sometimes begrudgingly begrudgingly sell you a watch um, and then they want to remove the stickers and keep the card as well i mean for me it's 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 mind-blowing and it's I think I think that Rolex have lost a lot of support, um, a lot of fans, if that's the right word, a lot of followers, 
Um, and I think their attitude of entitlement um, has not done them any favours. That's my own personal view. That's what that's the feedback I get from Rolex buyers and from a lot of long-term Rolex buyers, old-school Rolex buyers like myself. Um, a lot of them have been turned off to the brand by the lack of availability, and when it does become available, they want to... I mean, look, I don't know if anyone has ever done this. How many people watching this, I don't know, but there's nothing quite like getting yourself a brand-new Rolex and taking those stickers off yourself. It's like opening a box. It's an unboxing video all in itself, and it's yours. You've paid all that money. This is the watch that you've bought, you've aspired to. Removing those stickers in your mind, or for me at least, confirms that you are the first person ever to own that watch. And they, they're taking that pleasure away from you, deliberately, by the way. Um, sorry, I don't agree with it, and it really annoys me. And um, I cannot think of one valid reason, because as I say, I know we go back to the grey market, the flippers, the professional flippers, the preferred clients, so-called preferred clients that are flipping. But those so-called preferred clients that are flipping, they're the ones that are getting the watches out of the stores with the seal still on and with the card. So it's not working. It's not working at all, and it makes no sense. That's my view on it, and it will not change. So I want to move on to David Bibbins' email, um, and it was quite long and detailed, and all the subjects were good. And I thought I'd dedicate the rest of this particular Q&A session to David's email. And the first question he says is, Paul, would it be possible if in the future you can do a video on the importance of historical servicing on an important watch? Um, now, it depends on your definition of a historical important watch, obviously, David. I mean, there's a big difference between a vintage 5513 and a 1680 than there is to a... 1970s date just um you know di different vintages different levels of importance but um, my view on that is that whenever you're sending what you would class an important historical watch off to any um main dealers or any uh, manufacturers to have it serviced um, and i've written a few notes here so that i make sure that i remember what i need to say um you need to send the watch in asking for his a historically sympathetic quote uh, and what you mean by that is that you are looking to see the terms and conditions of the quote um, of the work that they're going to carry out. So you want to know exactly what work they would intend or like to carry out on your watch before agreeing to it. This is vital because a lot of people send watches off to uh, manufacturers for a service and before they know where they are, they might get the quote back and it might just say it's going to cost this amount of pounds, dollars, euros, whatever. But it doesn't exactly, or they don't exactly explain very well precisely the work that's going to get carried out. And a lot of people fall foul of this. I mean, like, you know, you don't want to send a 5513 away with a stunning gilt dial for it to come back with a service dial on hands. I mean, all they've done is devalue the watch by like 40%. And by the way, they keep the original dial on the hands. So, you know, you need to get, um, my, my view on this is you ask for a historically sympathetic service and can you please give me an, a precise quote and an exact definition of what work you're going to carry out on this watch before I agree to it? And then when that quote comes back, study it. If you're not sure about some of the terminology, get that clarified. Um, and then it's up for debate, isn't it? It's up, then up for negotiation. Um, you know, they'll often insist on replacing bracelets. That's your prerogative. You have not got to replace the bracelet. Again, it's always on an exchange basis. So they get to keep 
the original, which is sometimes more valuable than the one they're going to replace it with, and you are paying for the pleasure of that because you're going to pay for the new bracelet. So it's a double or treble whammy in many respects. So it's vital that you ask for a historically sympathetic service quote. Um, and if they don't know what that means, you're probably talking to the wrong person. Now, David also asks, how do auction houses deal with important watches? It depends on the auction house, of course, but in my experience, and invariably, they come with a disclaimer that's longer than gone with the wind. You need to be very careful um, with any auction house. Um, I would advise that anyone that's inexperienced with watches and auction houses um, probably steers clear. That's not. I'm not putting down the auction houses, but remember, you're going to be bidding against some seriously experienced people um, and it's not the place it's like going to a car auction when you're bidding against car dealers and mechanics and you're just a novice it's not the right place to be as far as serving is servicing is concerned they're not obliged to do any work to any watch um, before it goes in for sale if they do do any work that will almost certainly be stated in the catalog because they actually want to make a, a, a noise about the fact that the watch has been serviced and he also asked how do I feel about uh, throwing money into servicing before a sale or should it just sit on them until it's time to sell? Um, I don't believe, I'm not a big lover of throwing money at watches um, from, from a servicing point of view because it's going to be hard to retrieve at the point of sale. I mean, bearing in mind, again, I know I keep saying this, I always come from the viewpoint of the watch dealer rather than the watch collector or the enthusiast. Um, I would advise that uh, you use the potential cost of a full service as a bargaining point at the point of sale. So if you're asking X amount of pounds for a watch, someone comes along and says, look, when was it last serviced? And you say it hasn't been serviced. Maybe at the end of that, you know, or part of the negotiations, you can say, well, look, I'll tell you what I'll do. I agree the watch hasn't been serviced. I'll throw in the cost of a full service for that watch, which is usually more than enough to keep that customer happy. And to be fair, you know, if you've owned a watch for a number of years, you're going to have saved yourself a lot of money. Remember also, with historical watches, um, with vintage watches, you send them away to some degree at your own risk because sometimes you send them away with a minor fault and not too far down the line, you, they start picking up service-induced errors because sometimes with watches, it's they're best left alone. Um, but obviously that varies from case to case. You know, I, I, I don't want to speak too broadly, um, but... Uh, I hope you're getting my sort of general ethos on what servicing and how it can be more costly to you and sometimes detrimental to your watch rather than a benefit. Now, David also brings up a good point about many watchmakers claiming to be something that they're perhaps not and the difficulty of finding a good watchmaker. And uh, <clears throat> this, you know, this is one of the reasons why I decided to go through David's entire email because it's a, a great question and a good point. Watchmakers in general are quite difficult animals to deal with. They hate the phone normally. They're not very good with their emails. Um, but there's a good reason for that. It's because they want to be at their bench. It's at the bench where they earn their money. They don't earn their money answering emails and answering the telephone. And credit to them. And I, I must put this point over on their behalf. I'm not a watchmaker. I've never been a watchmaker. But I've worked with a number of them. Um, and to be fair to them, there's nothing more frustrating for a watchmaker than someone to give them a watch on Monday um, and on Wednesday uh, they're persistently phoning them asking them where their watch is well to be fair this if the watchmaker's any good he's probably going to have a waiting list to some degree and secondly even if he didn't um, if you give him a watch on Monday it's no point in ringing him on Wednesday asking him where it is because all you're doing is taking him away from his work 
uh, and pestering him on the phone and watchmakers that is their biggest bugbear they hate being taken away from their benches uh, and quite honestly you know communications for them um, is actually the last thing on their mind because as i say they're focused strictly on being at the bench doing their job um if they're independents, they may not necessarily have the benefit of having secretaries to take care of the communications for them. So their communication levels are not always great. Um, that wouldn't necessarily put me off of using a particular watchmaker because the proof of the pudding in, a, in any watchmaker is in the work that he does, not the speed of his replies to emails or telephone calls. You know, my tip whenever you're choosing a watchmaker is obviously history, reputation, look at what they're capable or not capable of doing, look at what they've done in the past, you know, Google them, look at their history. And as I say, reputation is everything. But in general, um, just picking up my notes again, you know, you look, there's nothing wrong in asking for a timescale, but don't particularly expect them to keep to it. Get a quote. Once you've got the quote, go through the details of the quote with your watchmaker. Um, be clear with him. Are all the parts he's going to use potentially, are they original or non-original? Can he even get the parts in the first place? And don't forget that with some vintage watches, some of the parts just won't be available from the manufacturer. And it is acceptable, in my opinion, it's wholly acceptable for a watchmaker to hand make a part that is going to go in an important fine watch. Because if it's not available from the original manufacturer the only other alternative is to scrap the watch and that's ridiculous you you will need to accept that with some historical watches um pocket watches wrist watches whatever they are um but i go back to david's original um question where he says historically important watches uh, you can't always get original parts for historically important watches and that is something that you must consider you're going to have to accept um, but you need to clarify clarify those points with your watchmaker and find out exactly what he is and isn't going to do with your watch before you have the work done. It's no good moaning about it afterwards. At Farmers Insurance, we know there's a crucial difference between a kick drum pedal and your car's accelerator pedal. Because we covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. The Starlight Lounge presents an evening with the progressive box. Old moon. Yeah. That's Hugo tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh. This next one's for you, too. There's... A burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.